It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is iconic filmmaker, actor, and author John Waters, whose newest book is Mr. Know-It-All, The Tarnished Wisdom of a Filth Elder, published by Picador Books and available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. And no, you cannot follow John Waters on Twitter or Facebook. About the best you can do is follow him around the block or throughout Maryland, wherever, wherever he may be. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. There is a website called Welcome to Dreamland on Facebook that has everything about me. I'm, I'm not on it, but the person who runs it is, is well-informed. Excellent. Well, it's a very funny book, and what I like about it is that you're very practical in a lot of ways. There's almost a sense of going to USC School of Film because you give some very Business, practical right. advice well, on... I'm trying to pass down... You've got to negotiate your way through the arts if you want to get in this business, and I'm trying to let you know what I did for 50 years that enabled me to get away with it. Yeah, it's, it, and some of it's extremely practical. How to raise money in a non-traditional way is one example. There's, there's a bunch of great advice that I, I would recommend if you're interested in film and you don't have the money for USC School of Cinematic Arts, just you can pick up this book and learn a lot. And uh, I don't even know if you can go to school now anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But if you, <laughs> but if you they'll, could, probably, they'll probably assign you my book to read and you'll have to pay $30,000. <laughs> now, I think you give it away in the book that even your, your persona is well known, but there's also parts of you that I think that you give away. And I noticed, for example, I, on page 59 when you said, about someone, when the worst thing that can happen to you does, I try to be a friend. Well, that's true. If you ever, you know, I'll always visit you in jail. I've never had a friend that went to jail that I didn't visit. Well, it's, <laughs> and, it's, uh, it shows us. So yeah, I'm the one that will call you that day when something horrible happens. <laughs> I'm the one that will call you in the morning when your phone is so silent and so deadly. Yeah, that's what friends are for, the worst days, too. But that's a traditional view of friendship and people, and I, I like that it's mixed in with your public persona. Well, I think that I, in the book, I, I don't say anything bad about, I don't name the executives I had trouble with, because right. I took their money, I didn't give them a paycheck back, and some of them, they didn't make money, so maybe they were right, from their <laughs> viewpoint, from a business viewpoint. And the ones that did, I praised them. I, I think Hollywood treated me fairly. If you don't want to get anybody's notes, then make a movie on your cell phone. Nobody will tell you what to do. If you make a movie that costs $10 million, they're going to give you some opinions, and you've got to take them. That's a math problem you'll learn early. It's a math problem, but it's still coming from your viewpoint is interesting because a lot of people who are artistic or take provocative stands in art and music and movies tend to see themselves as a rebel fighting against the Hollywood system, and you're a lot more practical based on what no, I, I was reading. No, I wanted reading. to work in the Hollywood system and sneak in it, which I did, <laughs> weirdly, and, and also be paid. You know, I, <laughs> So at the same time, you have to learn how to sell your whatever you're doing to. And I think that can be just as creative and just as interesting in a way. And you can use publicity, you can use meeting the public, you can do all that to sell your picture when you don't have money for advertising. Excellent point. What's also interesting from my point of view is that you, you dealt with Hollywood for so long, and yet you were raised and still live in Baltimore. And so does that give you a different perspective? 
it would be worse if I lived in Hollywood. Because I lived in Baltimore, when I would go out there to pitch a movie, they knew I'm there for a week. It's an hour, never. They're not going to see me next weekend at a party. They never got used to me. I just was there once every couple of years, pitched something, and went home and did it. If I lived there, it would have been the worst thing for my career ever. So when you segued between those two cultural centers, so to speak, when I say cultural, I don't mean necessarily high culture. I just mean they have different cultures. So when you well, say- each city. I mean, my agents for books are in New York. My agent for theater is in New York. My agent for movies is definitely in Los Angeles. I think each city has to have the agent in the right place. But coming from the, the culture of Baltimore and dealing with the culture in Hollywood, was that a shock for you? No, my father started his own business, and I guess I watched him do it, and I started my own business, too. He sold fire protection equipment, and I sold shock and laugh. <laughs> so, but it, it's still a business. He taught me to be organized. He taught me to have backup plans. He taught me to have good employees and to be honest in business, and I think I followed all that, even though I'm a weird gay version of my father. <laughs> but you took his advice, obviously. Yeah, I did. Another thing you said in the book, and again, this is very not just even practical, but again, very human and very wise. And that is never forget the powers that be who helped you and be grateful for that. Yes, definitely. I named Bob Shea, who was a head of New Line. Uh, lots of people had, you know, arguments with and everything. And I did too. But we ended up being lifelong friends. And he greenlit a lot of my movies that other people would have never done. He took a big chance on me early in his company. And I think I helped his company. I brought different filmmakers to it, because even my, he had some of my movies that might have lost money, they respected that he distributed them. So I thank him profusely, and I still do. Ironically, I think you could be considered, based on what you've written about, and this is not your first book, but it's, it's one of a, I won't say trilogy, you'll probably have a few more books in you at least. You're very productive, which is one thing that people look at you, they go, how does he do this, 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 and they may be shocked, but you're still producing all this material over yeah. a long period of time. I go to work every day. Yeah, exactly. So, to Friday, I go in that room and write. Right. If, otherwise, I'd have to get a real job. <laughs> but my, my concern is after all that time writing, you still haven't written War and Peace, so I, I don't know how that works well, all the time. Uh, you know, I've, I, no, I haven't written War and Peace, but I'm working on a novel now, so I can be hopeful. Okay, very good. So now I got to talk about, I know this is trivial, but not really. How did you decide to have the mustache as an ongoing Look I had part it when of it. I, I grew it in 1970, so I've had it. How long is that? 30, I'm bad with math. Yeah, um, yeah. I just want. I love little Richard. I wanted to look like a. I had real long hair, more hideous thrift shop clothes. I just wanted to look like a criminal. I, just wanted, to look, <laughs> I wanted to look like a sleazy white little Richard. <laughs> I always thought your mustache was like cross between Adolf Manju and Salvador Dali. You no, know, it just, was more. Okay, well, that's fair. The platters, the least thing in the platters, and every store detective in 30s movies. <laughs> and now, the only good thing about this virus is the mask is a great disguise for me because you don't see my mustache. <laughs> that's true. You, you, you look like everybody else that's walking around. I do, and now I don't have to do selfies as much, although people still do selfies, even with them on. Can you go anywhere without people recognizing you? 
No, really. I mean, but I don't. I'm not bitching about that. And then no, no. Sometimes Understood. It isn't a drag. They don't jump at me or anything. Right. But I would say almost always you can tell, and sometimes they don't say anything, but you can kind of tell. And then people forget that you aren't deaf, like in an airport when I'm walking. <laughs> I, I can hear you. I'm still like. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'm sure sometimes you can, but generally, I drove across the country two years ago, and we went into some really obscure places. And pretty much everywhere, at least somebody would say something, or you know, or, or I guess sometimes on airplanes, flight attendants ask me if I'm Steve Buscemi. <laughs> <laughs> so I just say yes. Have you ever thought? I know that you've appeared in Las Vegas, and I think there was one thing scheduled. Yeah, I did the right? uh, burlesque convention. I was supposed to do it this year. It right, got right. Postponed. I'm doing it again next year. And I, yeah, I've done my spoken word show there, but I, the burlesque show is the main thing I do there now. Yeah, because I could see you as, as somewhat of a Las Vegas Noel Coward in a way. Well, thank you. And I met Liz Renee there, who lived in Las Vegas. Right, who was a right, right. Great showgirl and everything. And she lived there up to the end of her life. I used to always visit her. And there's a lot of different connections with Las Vegas. For example, your pink flamingos, and of course, we have the flamingo Las Vegas. Yes, definitely. So yeah. there, there's that and, connection. You know, Liberace was always kind of an influence in some way. <laughs> the other interesting he thing. He called me. I, I, he called me once in my life, right before he died, because I interviewed, I wrote the Review and Vogue magazine for his book, The Things I Love. And it was very tongue in cheek telling him, don't give money to charity, keep it all, and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and I didn't even have an assistant. And somehow he found my number. And I picked it up, and he sent it to John Waters, and I thought, oh, my God, it's Liberace. And it was. <laughs> and he invited me to his show in New York, and I went. It was very sad, because as soon as I saw him, I knew he had AIDS. Wow. You know, when he came. And he died not long after that. That's a, that's a tragic story. Larger, City musical. Yeah. yeah, he was larger than life here in Las Vegas, and everywhere, actually, but particularly in Las Vegas. And that movie's great about him. And even the boyfriend in prison is kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> He out Scott. <laughs> yeah, Scott Thorson. Yeah, is he out? Not sure. I think he, yeah, is. he is. I, I think he is at I this point. I think he maybe isn't. <laughs> I don't oh. know. <laughs> I follow his career. <laughs> you know, you said you, that Liberace called you and you were so surprised because you didn't have an assistant. But in your book, you talk about just no, call. I didn't have an assistant. Yeah, that's what he I meant. Did. Right, right, right. But what I meant is you were surprised he called you because you did not have an assistant. You pick up the phone. And yet in your book, you write about the fact that you, you suggest, and rightly so, call people if you can get their phone number. The worst they can do is hang up on you. But you call people too. Yeah, that you, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah idols and such. And just a little bit about another one La other Las Vegas connection, which is with Matthew Gray Goobler, who of course did the voice of Alvin and the Chipmunks, and you wanted He's to be, you so wanted to do great. a cameo. And have you ever seen him dressed like me? He says he wants to play me if they do shock <laughs> well, he, He's way more handsome than I ever was. Well, he, yeah, his, I have seen him. He introduced, he opened for me once when I did one of my Christmas shows, and he came out dressed as me. He was pretty great. He was pretty great. Yeah. And he ended up, because of him, I was in the Alvin the Chipmunk movie because he knows how much I love him. So I know I got him, he got me that job. Right. And his mother's a longtime prominent resident of Las Vegas, Maryland, as uh, well. So He's great. But he's a really good guy. <laughs> Now, this is going to sound kind of a oxymoron situation here, but or oxymoronic, but you could be considered an, an actualized human being, but a, a, from a perversion point of view. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? I could be what? You could be a very... You, I think you are an actualized human being. A lot of people don't actualize their lives. You what do. What do you mean actualized? Well, th that's a term that means you live your life, you're fully actualized. You don't, you don't have any boundaries or you don't 
stifle yourself. Boundaries, I think. But I think what I live my life is true. I'm not. uh, I mean, I don't get up, get dressed like me every day. No, Um, no, right. But that's what I'm talking about. You live your life. A lot of people don't live their lives. That's my point. I definitely do. And I've done more than I ever thought I would ever be able to do in my life. So, um, you know, I. I have had a great life, and um, I've gotten far. I've gotten to meet everybody I wanted to meet. It's, you know, the only person left I haven't met I want to is Eminem, and I know he has no desire to meet me. Yes, but you could call him. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I bet he's hard to reach. Yeah, probably because of the layers of uh, staff. Yeah. <laughs> you were pretty easy to reach, and I, I think that's part of... I'm not that easy to reach. You'd be surprised. But you have my number because the publicist gave it to Well, you. that's true. But um, that's I am true. blocked. Every, you, you'll never get caller ID on any phone I have. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that you talked about in your book, which, again, is great, not just movie industry advice if you want to become a success in movies, but really a life lesson. Again, interesting. You say a no is free, so I don't let rejection stop me. No, it's hard to, but in show business, you really can't stop it because I always say it's like hitchhiking. You only need one ride. If every car stopped, there'd be a car accident. <laughs> so, um, you know, you just need one person to say yes. So rejection is a part of show business. The entire, like, you just have to get over it, you know, uh, just because it's not personal. Sometimes it is, but mostly it's not. Yeah, well, that's a bear, again, that comes from your father, a very business-like approach to show business. Yeah, I think so. It is a business. You know, it's not like in Europe where they give you grants to make weird movies. Uh, here, it's called a business. If they don't, if they get to green light three movies a year, if those movies lose money, they get fired. So you get why they want them to make money. They just think that they can fix any movie that so it will make money. And if that's true, every movie would be a hit. That's the fallacy. Right, right. But you did go overseas to finance movies, so you oh, you saw yeah, that side I'll go of anywhere. it. Are you kidding? A pot dealer financed one of my early movies. You know, <laughs> they have cash, and they don't, they don't, want, they don't want any attention. <laughs> well, let's take a the break. The reason I say that is because the statute of limitations are over. Right? Of course. Let's take a break. My guest, iconic filmmaker, actor, and author, John Waters, he's got a new book, Mr. Know-It-All, The Tarnished Wisdom of a Filth Elder, published by Picador Books and available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with iconic filmmaker, actor, and author John Waters, whose newest book is Mr. Know-It-All, The Tarnished Wisdom of a Filth Elder, published by Picador Books, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. John, could your art flourish as a cultural provocateur, a mocker, a convention, so to speak, if you lived, instead of a democratic republic, a totalitarian or authoritarian country? Do you think that you could prosper Well, I'd probably be in prison. Yeah, exactly. I'd be with Pussy Riot in a jail cell. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I think I would be one of the first ones. And I've said that before, that I say hideous things about Trump. I In my speech, talk about what it's like to have sex with him. Imagine that. But I don't get the firing squad where I could in other countries. So but we do live in a country that still is freer than most. Right, exactly. That was why I asked that question, because I think it would be pretty hard or courageous to be able to be a provocateur in the Soviet Union or former Soviet Union. No, that wouldn't be courageous. That would be suicide. Yeah, exactly. Or even other countries such as that. So there's another thing that you said. Again, again, I go back to this because there's a lot of practical movie industry advice. And here's another one. Movie stars want to be directed because you're talking about you don't want to leave a star of your movie alone on a set when she's in costume. No, because they're movie stars. They don't, they don't want to be alone with their fame in the awkward, phony space of a movie set. They want you to be telling them what to do, or what you're going to do, how you're working together to make this project great. Never leave them alone. That's a very dumb thing to do. Then they cause trouble. Who gave you the best advice in terms of dealing with Hollywood? That's a tough. I had a friend named Jeff Buhai who did the Revenge of the Nerd movies, and he taught me how to pitch, and he took me around to the studios for Hairspray when we first were, when I was learning how to do that. He gave me a lot of good Hollywood advice. And my agent at the time, Bill Block, and my lawyer, Tom Hansen. And so they all gave me really good advice. But I got variety since I was 14 years old, so I wasn't naive. I knew how to sell something, and I would think up ad campaigns and bring in the whole soundtrack of music and stuff when I came. So I kind of knew how to to sell it in a way because I distributed my early films myself before I ever, the really early ones, before I even had a, anywhere to show them. Do you have any regrets about, not about any of your movies, but about dealing with any of the people in Hollywood? Only regret I have is smoking cigarettes. Why specifically cigarettes as opposed to any other type of abuse? Because I'll probably, you know, die from it. No, I mean, hope not. But, uh, you know, I, it was the hardest thing I ever do to quit. And, um, yeah, it was the one, only thing the government ever told me that was true. Well, there you go. It kills you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you had, to, you had to discern that that was the one truthful thing that they said. So Yeah, that's uh, the only truth. I know we're kind of all over the map, but I like it that way just because of who you are. So we're kind of bouncing around. But the, the, the book is a fascinating read because it also talks about death, which is almost as, the same as being in Hollywood for many people. But you do talk about not dying and how you have, have how some... How I'm going to beat it. Yeah, and, how you're going to beat it. Yeah. my way out of the grave. Through, yeah. Yes, I believe in the only religious thing I believe in is the resurrection. I'm still planning my outfit. Right, so no cremation for John Waters. No. How do you dress up in an ash? I want to go back to your sentimental side. In When you were filming Crybaby, you had the audition with Sid Charisse, and who is well-known not only in Hollywood, but Las Vegas, etc. You mentioned that you were gentle and respectful to her because you realized she wasn't she wasn't really she for no the part. no idea who we were. Right. And I can just imagine if she had come to Baltimore with us, with Iggy Pop and me and Susan <laughs> she would have been put in a mental institution. <laughs> so I felt bad for her agent said he was trying to reinvent her. Well, I think that's a little bit of a severe reinvention. But I was very respectful to her, and I couldn't believe that she was there in a full Oscar outfit. Well, for, yeah, exactly. You know, a, 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 a quick meet and see in a casting set. <laughs> yeah, but you were gentle with it, which I guess is to my point that you have that side of you that can acknowledge someone is not in your world, but you can respect where they're Are you kidding? From. This was for Crybaby, and in Hairspray, 
Divine, as the mother says to the Ricky Lake character, look at you, Miss Sid Cherise herself. <laughs> <laughs> so we had already used her in dialogue. Right, exactly. But now you're being in person, it's different. There she was. Yeah, exactly. I, I guess that, that was my point. There's another, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of great stuff in the book, but there's one, well, the one thing I will challenge you on, but I thought it was very funny was, I guess Johnny Depp's lawyers had done the paperwork to get you ordained as a minister in the Universal Life Church. If memory serves, that's about the easiest thing to get. You don't need lawyers to get it. You just don't. I know you don't, yeah. but he, they did make sure it was legal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I still I don't marry people anymore because I ended up being a photo op at people's weddings. I have to know you for really a long time. But I have married about 15 couples, and only two got divorced, and I charged $7 cash. Very reasonable. <laughs> Very re- no tax, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you declare that seven dollars? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I can deduct my religious therapy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you cover everything in the book. From your point of view, what's the best part? I know this is kind of a formula question, but I, it's, I actually mean it. What's from your point of view? What's the best part in the current book, Mister Know It All? The most sentimental and moving, I think, is the chapter where I take LSD with Mink Stoll when I'm 70 years old, because it's about friendship and about how important old friends are. Yeah, they are, because they've been part of your life, and they've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah, I don't trust people that don't have old friends. Something's the matter with them. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Even you... if they're six years old. <laughs> <laughs> are you surprised that you have long-term or long-time friends? Oh, I always did. I mean, I just can't imagine there is such comfort and so much. You know, they don't care if your movie's a hit or not. They're real friends, I mean. Right. No, they'll, they'll be with you come hell or high water, so to speak, in that sense. Before I let you go, John, you received the Order of Arts and Letters Medal from the French Ministry of Culture. Was that surprising to you, or did you just figure you should get that? I was that? really honored with no irony. I got it at the French Embassy in New York. I wish my parents had been allowed to see that one. Uh, no, I've always loved the French movies. The Cannes Film Festival has been incredibly supportive of my films. They've played them all. My books have done well. My the French have always been great to me, and I love French movies. I love a French feel-bad movie. So they knew that, and they think that's why they gave me the honor, the medal, which I'm not wearing today. I'm not sitting around in my beach apartment with a medal, but I have it in its little case. I'm very proud of it. All that's right. important. John, thanks for being on the show. My guest has been iconic filmmaker, actor, and author John Waters, whose newest book is Mr. Know-It-All, The Tarnished Wisdom of a Filth Elder, published by Picador Books, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places. John, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me on. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Be my